0: We were in negotiations. We're investing in real estate. They're winning. They're making money. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Real Estate Educators Podcast, where we provide the education you can build on. I am your host, Kevin Amalsh. I am super excited about this podcast because we are helping real estate investors and real estate educators make more money. This is going to be an exciting episode. In fact, it's our very first quarterly market pulse podcast so i have a special guest with us today and a special co-host with us today to talk about what's going on in the economy and what's cool about this one is we're going to focus in on denver Colorado, I think. Well, mostly Denver, but I want to hear from our guests. What is going on in the markets? What can we expect and how can we be prepared as a real estate investor? So with that, let me introduce our co-host, Mr. Justin Cooper. What's up, Coop? How are you, Kevin? Good, man. I know you've uh, everyone probably knows who you are because you've been on the the show before you're out the out at the events the success summits the classes all of that but quickly tell us who you are and then if you'd like to introduce our very special guest that'd be that'd be awesome.
1: Yeah, happy to. So I'm Justin Cooper, a uh, senior loan officer with Pine Financial Group, full-time real estate investor. I uh, did my first fix and flip back in 2007. Uh, I've gone on and done a few other uh, fix and flips. I own a handful of rental properties, uh, done a bunch of other things in real estate investing. Um, but maybe most importantly is I joined Kevin Amos at Pine Financial Group back in 2011. So I've been full-time ever since 2011 uh, and have closed, gosh, I don't even know, thousands, it feels like, of hard money loans uh, uh, since then. So uh, been on this journey for many years with Kevin, uh, as well as just real estate investing in general. So um, yeah, love to uh, love to join Kevin on the podcast, love to share the information that, that I have and my thoughts and feelings on the market. So I'm excited about t- today's event. Uh, and so along those lines, joining us is Joe Massey. Joe Massey is a loan originator, loan mortgage lender with Castle & Cook Mortgage. Joe, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your journey.
2: Um, You know what? I'm so excited to join you guys really appreciate the invite today. Um, Again, my name is Joe Massey. I'm with Castle and Cook Mortgage uh, Branch Manager, loan officer here in our Denver location. And I've been in lending for 21 years now, which shocks me every time I think about that. Um, Been a loan officer for right at 20 years. And about a third of our business is working with investors. So, you know, just like you guys, um, helping people buy long-term investment properties, refinance out of hard money loans, um, buy properties in the mountains that they're gonna use for Airbnb. Um, We also have a high percentage of our clients that are self-employed, which I really enjoy because that's a a level that has a special nuance to it. And a lot of our clients, whether they're a first-time buyer, investor, self-employed, they own 10 properties or they own zero properties, they're really interested in market trends. What's happening? um, What can I buy to get a good deal? What can I buy to make sure I don't get a bad deal, um, you know, and understanding where we're at and hypothesizing on where we're going. I don't know if hypothesizing is a word, but I think it is. Uh, and so that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. So I'm really grateful for the invitation
0: and uh, always enjoy speaking with both of you. Okay, so fantastic. So we have most of the people I mentioned to Joe consume this on um, Apple iPod, iP- iP- what is it called? The uh... Apple, whatever it is, the the Apple podcast, podcast. and then they have, yeah, the podcast one or the Spotify. So there's not a lot of video, but Joe does have some slides. So we're going to, I went ahead and made him co-host. So he's going to be able to pull up his slides and then we'll just try to describe the best that we can. What exactly those of us that are watching is viewing. So Joe, if you want to go and pull those slides up now, you're going to focus in on, I think, Denver here first and then maybe let's do this. Let's go Denver and then we'll go to the more macro level because I know people are very curious about what's going on with inflation Mm -hmm. and uh, interest rates and all of that stuff. So what are we looking at here?
2: Yeah. So the first thing I'll tell you is um, we'll make sure to include a link in the notes to where you can download copies of these slides. Um, So Kevin, I'll make sure to send these to you afterwards. And the first one I've got is the current market showing trends in Denver. So I do a lot of work with York Castle Real Estate, uh, the founder over there, Lon Welsh, um, he puts this slide together every month and uh, graciously allows me to share it and uh, share this information with you guys. So one thing we look at is how many showings per property over a 30 day period. Um, And we go back to like 2017 on this particular chart. And so the peak, of showings per listing was back during the unicorn years of COVID when there was 21, 22, 23 showings per property per month. And that would have been, you know, in most of 2021 and then certainly early 2021 and early 22. Well, as interest rates began to increase in the middle part of 2022, you see that those showings per listing begin to fall way, way down. You see activity decline pretty significantly. And if you look at where we're at currently um, for the month or excuse me, for the month of November, 2023, we're seeing about six showings per active listing over a 30 day period. So folks that have been selling a home are saying, Holy cow, there is no activity. Nobody's coming to look at my property. And let me phrase this as a question. Justin, a lot of your clients are selling fix and flips. Are they seeing less activity today than they were maybe a year ago or 18 months ago?
1: Yeah, they, they absolutely are properties Mm -hmm. are definitely sitting longer. Um, And and one of the main reasons, right, it feels like is people, less people are out there looking at properties. And this, uh, these stats directly show that, right? Less showings means less people are walking through the door looking at properties. So it makes us feel like there's less buyers out there. There's less people looking at houses, properties are going to sit a lot longer.
2: Yep. Now, here's the big question. Why has demand gone down so much? Why are there so few homeowners or home buyers looking at properties? What changed?
1: Well, interest rates, right. You already mentioned it. But interest rates have That's been right. the major factor from the pandemic time where interest rates were basically at uh, all-time lows to mm-hmm. now, where seemingly they've skyrocketed.
2: That's right. And so we actually saw interest rates approach eight percent um a little over a month ago. So in uh, middle of October to early November, we were seeing interest rates approaching eight percent for a primary resident. Which would mean for an investor, which I know that's a big bulk of our audience today, interest rates were probably eight and a half to maybe 8.75. And you know what? That makes it really difficult to buy a property that's going to cash flow, right? Yeah, absolutely. But fortunately, so, over the, oh, oh, go ahead, Kevin, do you have a question?
0: Yeah, I was just curious. Like we keep hearing about this lock in effect, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if I'm buying that. Now, I, I know that there's some, I know that there's some impact you guys, because of the lock-in effect. And for the listener, the lock-in effect is people don't want to move because they don't want to pay off their 3% mortgage, right? So is that really hurting the number of showings that we're seeing? Because I think, first of all, I know about 40% of the houses are owned free and clear. So they're not locked into a 3% rate. So we're really only looking at 60% of the inventory. Now, if they're, they're, let's say of those 60%, how many of those people are not wanting to move because of the lower rates? So they're not, One, adding a property to an inventory because they're gonna sell their current to buy a new and then it's gonna add one unit of demand. So it seems like we're adding a unit of inventory and a unit of demand. So is it really that big of an impact? What do you guys think?
2: I think it is a medium term impact. What I mean by that is if I'm living in a home and I'm happy with it and I'm sitting in the backyard and I'm like, ah, this backyard is not quite what I want. I really would like a newer backyard or a nicer backyard. Well, to go from a 3% rate to, you know, as of today, interest rates are right around 7% or 6.9. They've come down since early October. But if I'm going to go from a 3% to a 7%, well, that new backyard is going to cost me 1000 bucks a month, $1,500 a month. That's not that thrilling to me. I don't really want to spend $1,500 a month for a nicer backyard. So I think there is some of that, that lock-in effect. but When I say that that's medium term, I mean anywhere from two to five years, and here's why. Over the long term, what happens? Children get born, children graduate, children move out of the home, people get married, people get divorced, people need to have an aging parent that needs to move in with them, people get relocated for jobs, things like that. So I think right now, the backyard example, I would describe that as an elective transaction, meaning I I don't love my backyard. I'd kind of like a new backyard, but I don't have to have a new backyard. So some of the elective transactions have fallen off. But the required transactions, which no transaction is required, but I'm getting married, I'm having a baby, I'm getting divorced, I'm being relocated for a job. That's kind of a required transaction that even though I love my 3% rate, I'm moving from Denver to Wisconsin well, I still need to sell this home and I still need to buy a new home in Wisconsin, right? So I think those required transactions are happening, um, but I do think the elective of, hey, I just want something nicer, I don't think as many of those are happening. So that lock in effect is more of a emotional, not a needs-based, because I think needs-based transactions occur because life occurs, that people always need a place to live.
0: Yeah, I think that's right, and I have some fun statistics here from NAR to kind of support your point. But my my thought, I guess, when I made the comment about one unit of inventory versus one unit of demand, so it's like a net zero. I guess that's probably true when it comes to median values. Mm-hmm. But it but that should increase activity. So if we're looking at this slide here showing with a uh, showing showings, maybe that you would see higher showings without that lock in effect. I think
2: maybe, yeah, I think maybe you would, Um, but we're also getting a further and further distance away from when interest rates were 3%, right? That was September of 2021, um, the last time the interest rates were the lowest they've ever been. And we've been on a gradual increase now for basically two years. And so what you're seeing is that people understand, hey, you know what? An interest rate of six, six and a half, seven, seven and a half, that is the reality for me to buy a home. I've been locked in on this really low rate for a couple of years, but now I'm no longer electively transacting. I do need to move for my new job, or I do need to do this or get married or buy a home or you know get out of my rental property uh, or my rental apartment, whatever it is. So we are seeing more transactions coming back into the market um, because the shock from those increased interest rates is beginning to wear off and people are realizing this is reality.
1: Yeah, exactly. People are coming to terms with the new, uh... The, the new reality, as you just said, of higher interest rates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're not living in that 2 3% interest rate uh, world anymore, right? It's going to be higher. People are coming to terms with it. They're understanding how this is affecting their monthly payments. And now, you know, they've had a year or two to really be planning and saving up for down payments and and mentally adjusting for those uh, monthly payments. And like you said, the reality of having to move is really starting to settle in. They can't just um, stay in their house any longer um, if they've had those life life changes happen.
2: That's right. That's right. Now, I think a really interesting one too is because there's so much less activity, a lot of people have the opinion, well, there's going to be a crash, right? There's fewer people looking at properties. We have to have a crash. So before I show the next slide, let me ask you guys, do we think we're going to have a crash in prices? What do you guys think?
1: I don't I don't feel like a crash is coming anytime soon, but I'm certainly interested in hearing what Kevin thinks on this
0: yeah, I think it's impossible. And here's why there's a there's a there's a floor built in the market that we no one's talking about. So and what I'm talking about here is if you start to see values come down, is there is there something that will stop it from going too low, like a stop loss on a stock? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think there is a floor a hidden floor. And and the reason for that is I think there's pent up demand. We have institutional buyers that have already publicly said they're interested in buying. Now there's some regulation around this and that could change depending on what happens with the the regulation. Um, But if you have have institutional buyers wanting to get in, Joe, you and I would want to buy. Coop, you want to buy. If there's there's other mom and pop investors that are wanting to buy, um, Mm -hmm. I think when you see softening in values, mom and pops will come back in. Um, and then the statistic that I was going to share with you from NAR, I'm looking at it right here. This is over a two-year period, NAR believes. Um, Seven million people will be born in the country. Um, three million people will get married and 50 million job changes. Now, there's more fun statistics about that. But if you look at just those numbers alone, though, all three of those activities creates demand, Mm-hmm. Um and then finally, there is a there is a survey out there that I thought was very interesting. And I got this from Zonda. I love Zonda, by the way. 80% of home buyers in this survey think that now is a poor time to buy. And and why is that? Because interest rates are high. Yeah, exactly. So when you start to see those shifts, which I want to get into Joe, what you think is coming in the next year, do mm-hmm. 80% of people start thinking now now is a good time to buy? And then what does that do to the demand? So, in my personal opinion, I don't, I don't it, look supply demand. It's very, very simple. That's Mm -hmm. what drives values. If we have pent up demand and a lack of supply, you can't see a crash. I think it's impossible. What do you, what do you think?
2: I think you're spot on and and you're leading the witness. So I'm going to give you 20 bucks later. Um, So (laughs) the next slide here, and again, I know a lot of folks are, are listening to this and can't see it. But one of the things that you touched on, Kevin, which I loved, is demand. Tell me again, there were 7 million people that are going to be born. And what was the, I heard the job loss was, or the job change was 50 million, but there was a second one. 7 million people are going to be born. 3 million people will be married. 3 million people will be married. Okay, so this is not a class on statistics, but let's just say all those 7 million people that are going to be born, they need another bedroom. And all of those 3 million people that are going to be married, they probably want to live together. I mean, I remember when I got married, that was a reasonable assumption. You want to live with your spouse, right? Well, that's potentially 10 million transactions. Now, I know not every one of those is going to buy a home. But this next slide is inventory and what we're seeing about inventory being so low. So we're going to shift a little bit. 10 million potentially on the demand side. Let's talk about the supply side. On average, per decade over the last... 60 years, we have built anywhere from 21 million to 27 million homes in the United States. So this is a national chart. And it shows all the way back from the 50s, we were building 21 million homes all the way up until 2000 to 2009. We built 27 million homes in the United States. The last 10 years, we built 5.8 million homes. That means we are roughly 20 million homes behind where we need to be to just to keep up with the 7 million babies that are gonna be born and the, the 3 million people that are gonna be married. So exactly what Kevin said, we've got increasing demand because it just makes sense. There's more people, right? And all of these people need a place to live. And we've got decreasing supply because it's difficult to build homes, it's difficult to get permits, it's difficult to build homes and make a profit, it's difficult to find land, Labor's expensive, materials are expensive. There's all these things that make it difficult to build properties. Well, when you have a lot of demand and really low supply, Kevin, what does that do to prices? Prices go up. That's right. So exactly what you said. I don't see any way that we're going to have a crash. I don't see any way that people are going to say, oh, wow, homes just went down by 25%. Now it's a great time to buy. I don't see it. I don't see it because we don't build enough homes and we have too many people, you know, being born, being married and wanting to transact in the United States. Justin, what do you think?
1: I agree with that 100% all around. Uh, At the end of the day, it's the most basic economic um, term, supply and demand, right? Mm -hmm. And even if we factor in some of this lock-in effect that's going on, people are locked in, they're not moving, therefore their houses are not on the market either, right? Mm -hmm. So we're not building enough. And if people aren't moving because they don't necessarily have to, that's even less uh, supply on the market. And people are always wanting to move. There's still that need to move. So the demand is still there. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Yep. So I don't see that there's gonna be a crash. And this is a question that I get a lot. I'm sure you guys talk about it as well. Hey, when do you think there's gonna be a crash? That's when it's gonna be a good time to buy a property. There's not gonna be a crash, right? Price uh, decreases already occurred about six months ago. So if you look from about July of last year until February of this year, you did see prices went down a total of about 3%. And now they're back up one or two or 3%, depending on where you live. Um, I think we're going to continue to see increased
0: home prices over the next three to five to seven to 10 years. Yeah. I read somewhere, Joe, that Denver, since we're talking about Denver specific here, Mm -hmm. we look, I believe we went through a recession already. Now I think that we could still experience more of that, but I think we went through a recession. I think it did hit real estate values, which not all recessions do. In fact, Mm -hmm. very few do if you look historically, but I heard that Denver I read that Denver went down almost 14% median values and then that you're right we've regained all of that through appreciation mm-hmm. just since that that softening but did you did you see something different or um so I don't have
2: the chart here but what we look at is the Case Shiller index and the Fannie Mae home price index and we saw from July of last year until about February of this year prices were decreasing to 0.5% on a month over month basis. And so if you tally all of those up, Then this is a nationwide stat, not a Denver specific stat. If you tally all of those up um, over that six or seven month period, you saw that prices went down about three to three and a half percent. Um, But I think you're exactly right. It could be more specific in specific areas. Um, And certainly in Denver, we did see some price softening. We certainly saw homes sitting on the market longer. um, And we saw sellers being overzealous, right? Hey, last year, my my neighbor sold his home for 700,000. I'm going to list for 780. And then when it sold for seven hundred five, they felt like they lost a lot of money. But they didn't. They just listed it too high, you know. So a lot of those stats can can really be misleading, um, particularly when you tie in the emotion of what somebody thought their home would be. Um, so I did not see that about fourteen percent, but I could certainly understand in certain pockets that I'm certain that it's accurate.
0: Yeah, now we're we're seeing appreciation again, and across the board, the economists that I've um, that I've read and. I don't want to say studied, but the, with the reports that I've read across the board, everyone's expecting pretty flat for the next several years. And the, I'm talking yeah. about like red, the Red Fins, the Zillows, the Wells Fargo, the big guys, right? Yeah, there are, Everyone's saying it's going to be rather flat. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we're going to see 6, 8, 10%. We're
2: certainly not going to see 12, 15, 20. I think we're going to see 1 to 3%. We're probably going to just outpace inflation, right? So we had several years that home appreciation, really, really beat inflation, I think the next few years, it's going to be inflation plus a little bit. Um, which if you think about it over the long term, that's still a great way to make
0: money. The Real Estate Educators podcast is brought to you by Pine Financial Group. Pine Financial Group is a private lender specializing in value add bridge lending for real estate investors. This is accomplished by raising private money from individual investors and lending that money out in short term real estate loans. Pine operates one of the coolest public mortgage funds on the market because it brings consistency and security to your investment portfolio without giving up on returns. The fund pays its investors a flat 8% return with monthly distributions. There is a low minimum investment and no lockup period. That's right, you can request all of your money back at any time without any fees. Diversify your portfolio out of Wall Street and into Main Street. With the Pine Financial Group Public Fund, PFG Fund Five. Find out more at pinefinancialgroup.com. That's pinefinancialgroup.com. Let's talk about inflation, Joe and yeah. Coop. What, Coop? What are you seeing in inflation? Are you, are your clients, are your, are they feeling this? Yeah, absolutely. And and so what we're feeling with inflation um, or
1: or the slowing down of those things is your after repair values, right? So what we do at Pine Financial, we're hard money lenders. So we lend a lot to fix and flip uh, investors. And so everything we do is based on the after repair value, the ARV of the property. What can you sell the property for after it's all fixed up and beautiful? And so just like Joe was saying, that people see that you know their neighbor sold for 700, this year I should be able to sell for another 10%. So 780, right? Um, and that's what a lot of investors were doing. And for many years, that's what we could do. And so when we're looking historically at how we run our numbers, you know, last year or historically comps were 700, if I assume 10% appreciation, I could sell for 780, right? And then you run your numbers at 700, it's a thin deal, costs go up, things change, right? You need that 780 to make a good deal and be profitable. We've seen that, you know, investors and, and homeowners and everybody are being brought back to this new reality of not having that 10% infl- uh, inflation, that 10% appreciation, so now, you know, it, it's been changing the market. It's been changing how investors are approaching things, but that new reality is sunk in. And they know that if last year we could sell it for 700, we could probably sell it again at 700 this year. And people are running their numbers based on that. They're being smarter and safer going into their uh, construction budgets. They're managing things tighter, not letting things go over budget and over time, but um, and so this has led to a, a lot of things, right? We've seen deals take a lot longer because it took a while for everybody to process. I can't get 780, I can't get 750. Mm-hmm. And But they're testing that market. So the property sits as we're waiting for the price adjustments to come back to, to the new reality. I think now that folks are, are adjusting to that new reality, properties will not sit as long, hopefully, because now they're gonna be smarter about the the pricing strategy that they have going into the properties. They're gonna move faster, so the market, if it does change, doesn't change out from under them. They're managing their timelines better, so their construction will get done faster, and they're gonna price appropriately to be able to sell their properties faster because time is money, right? Whether you're using a hard money loan or even just paying cash, right? It's about the velocity and how many deals can we do and turn and how fast can we turn properties. So anything investors can do to save time on their properties, even if they're buying rental properties and doing the BRRRR strategy, right? Where you buy it, fix it and refinance it and keep it as a rental, the faster you can be refinancing and getting a tenant in there, the better because now your property is producing income. So all of these things, I think a lot of investors are getting a lot smarter about um, how to approach and manage their projects. And that is helping them move a little bit faster uh, and, of course, making more money. Um, but it's it's been a long uh, learning curve, right? And we're seeing a lot of investors uh, that had got stuck in that, you know, where they were assuming the appreciation uh, to make money. And now they're not. They are now coming back and saying, OK, I've, I've, uh, I, I've taken my licks. I've learned what I need to be doing and they're coming back in the market strong. So it's been really interesting watching this kind of evolution and watching how, uh, how investors have been changing and adapting to the times.
2: Yeah, I think pricing right now, when you're pricing out to sell a property, It's always important, right? There's never been a time that pricing your property was just willy nilly. You could just throw any number out there. It's always been important, but I think it's super important right now because if you price it incorrectly, you might be sitting on that property for an extra 45, 60, 90 days. And if you've got carrying costs of three grand a month, that's gonna start eating into your profits. And that's a mistake that I see investors and just average homeowners make when they're trying to sell a property is pricing it improperly can actually cost you a lot of money. It's really easy to overprice a property. It's actually fairly difficult to underprice a property because if you list it too low, you're gonna get a lot of people looking at it and it's gonna get bid up to right around the market value, right? But if you price it too high, you might not have anybody looking at it and then you're gonna have to slowly trickle down that price until you get people interested. Um, So I think pricing the home and good marketing of the home right now is more critical
0: than it certainly has been in the last five years. Yeah, I love what you guys are both saying. <clears throat> to share a real quick story, I don't want to take very long here, but on my on my 40th birthday, I went out to um, San Francisco with a group of friends, and we ended up going up up into the Muir Woods. And so, if you if you know anything about these trees, they're freaking gigantic. Like, there's some that you could literally drive a car through. There's, these are how big these trees get, right? And I was reading all the little, doing the touristy thing, reading all the little signs, learning about these trees, and. One of the things that just really stuck with me is, you know, forest fires up in the mere Woods is a positive thing. Like it, that kind of pressure and the damage actually allows the strong trees to get stronger. Hmm. And I thought that was so amazing that that's, that's that's how that works. And then I think about what we're going through right now with real estate investors. And, and Cooper mentioned this a couple of times. Um, You got to be smarter and and better. And so what's going to happen when we go through this forest fire that we're in right now, the stronger investors, the ones with the good foundations are the ones that are going to come out of it. And they're going to be stronger and better than ever. So what I'm saying that because I'm thinking that if you're a newer investor, or you're kind of getting started, or even if you've been, uh, you got some, you know, you're a little bit seasoned, it's still very important to have that foundation and the resources to be mm-hmm. successful. So reach out to people like Coop and to Joe Massey, and those are the types of people that you want on your team so that you could be strong and get through this fire. Now, with I wanted to share that, but let's get into I want to get into inflation and interest rates, Joe. So. Okay. Talk to me about, talk to me about inflation. So we know that the, the federal reserve is targeting 2%. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the PCE number, which most people don't, don't quite grasp this. The, the number that you hear in the media is always the CPI, right? Okay, that's not really the number that they're following. What they want is a PCE core PCE to 2%. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us maybe what does that mean? I could tell you where we're at if you don't know, but can you tell us like, what does that mean? And, and how are they going to get there?
2: Yeah. So really what it is, is inflation is how much is a basket of goods, right? Like energy and housing and bread and eggs and milk and a car. This basket of goods, how much does it cost today versus what did it cost a year ago? And they try to keep that at 2%. Pretty much all the time. Sometimes it's at 1.8, sometimes it's at 2.2, but they try and keep it right around 2% because that is an indication of a good, healthy, growing economy. And at some points last year, we were upwards of five, 6% um, that for that core PCE number. And I don't have those stats in front of me, but what they've been doing, they, the Federal Reserve, have been increasing interest rates, short-term interest rates, and that makes economic activity slow down right? If it costs more to borrow money, you can't invest as much, that slows things down. It uh, encourages people to save more so they buy less and that slows down inflation so that they can try and get it back to that flat 2% or as close as possible. Here's the trouble with that is an activity that you make today or a decision you make today is going to trickle through to the economy over the next 45 days 60 days 90 days 180 days and so choices they make today are going to start having an impact over a period of time but they're not going to actually see those results until they get that data six months from now and that data could lag by another 30 60 90 days so it's a really complicated job that those guys have and as much as they can get some bad press and You know, it's kind of like the NFL referees. Nobody ever says, boy, they did a great job today. Same thing. If you work at the Federal Reserve, nobody ever calls and says, you're doing outstanding. Keep it up, right? There's all sorts of armchair quarterbacks that are second guessing them. Um, But their their approach to engineer a soft landing, I actually think it's working. You know, we have not entered into a recession as, you know, uh, traditionally defined. I do think we're in what I would call a rolling recession, meaning that certain segments of the market are in recessions. And I think housing was the first to go into a recession. And we saw that through some of the price softening. We've certainly seen that through some of the decreased activity. Housing is one of the, economic uh, industries that's most affected by interest rates. And we're seeing that that we have really entered a recession. We, those of us on this call, have really entered into a recession and are slogging our way through it. And some other industries are going to follow suit with probably an, a recession in energy. We've seen that with gas prices coming down. We're probably going to see a recession in other industries like manufacturing. Um, and another industry would potentially be financial services. All right. And we're going to have I believe this rolling recession but it's not going to be a huge recession for the overall economy where everything comes to a halt it's going to be certain segments and we're going to roll out of this over the next 6 12 18 months and their their campaign to get a soft landing it's kind of working now it feels like a really hard landing for us because we were the first ones impacted and we're in our housing recession and so we're sitting here like man there's not a whole lot going on but exactly what Kevin said, this is a little bit of a forest fire that's going to allow strong lenders like Pine Financial, like Castle and Cook, strong investors like you guys to come out better on the other side. So that inflation number trickles down to lots of different segments of the economy. So that's a really long
0: answer. I don't know if I yeah. helped or not. I'm going to I'm gonna just shed a little bit more light than I want to add, ask a question here. So the PCE uh, headline PCE is 3% right now. So headline is basically everything. And for those of you that don't know, PCE is basically CPI, which is exactly how Joe described it with like more rural areas. So it's a broader, it's like a bigger net. Okay. So it's not just like, you know, suburban and urban areas. It's, it's the farmers and all of that also farmers, ranchers, all of that. So I think that's why it's just a bigger net. That's why, um, the Fed likes it. So 3%. What's interesting about the headline is that actually went up two months ago and then last month, and then now it fell back down. So it's kind of like gone up and then back down, which has been a bit concerning. And you see the impact in the stock market, mm-hmm. which is actually surprising, which is what I want to ask Joe about, or um, Coop about. But now, what has worked really well is the core, which this is the number they're watching. Core removes food and energy, right? Mm-hmm. So you're saying we've seen a recession in energy. Which is right. So if you take that number out of the the um, inflation numbers, you would expect it to that number to be higher, right? Mm-hmm. So core the core numbers at 3.5. The good news is though, that has never spiked. It's all it's been a very steady down all, all the way from June of 2022 when we hit it, hit our peak. Mm-hmm. So that it I'm gonna agree with you that it is working and and those are the numbers and and why. So Coop, <clears throat> when I say the inflation number popped, and the st- impact of the stock market, what actually happened is the stock market dropped that day. When that report came out, it dropped. So we have good inflation news, a bad impact on the market. So why is good news, bad news in an economy like we're in right now?
1: <laughs> because How does that it that work?
0: I think it probably really,
1: I mean, I am not the stock market guy at all, but you know, it has to do with fears, right? It has to do with change. It has to do with, um. The, the variability and not being consistent, right? If you're watching something consistently go down, right? If that's the plan, if we want things to go down and if things are going down, that's what we want to see. When things are supposed to go down and then we see it go up, right? People get scared, right? And that is what causes the change. And when people are scared, what are they going to do? They're going to be selling their stocks, right? It's going to have an effect on the stock market. Uh, and so that's probably what happened there, right? And I'm sure once it came back down a little bit, everybody calmed down and stocks started growing again and and the numbers leveled off there right so um you know so much of what we deal with you know in real estate in stocks um in life has to do with fear right and a lot of fear is not understanding things so um as we continue to to live out the end of 2023 moving into 2024 we're going to continue to see how you know the economy is uh handling things how the FED is handling things and this will reduce our fears or Maybe it'll increase fears depending on how it goes, but right. That's the volatility of it. Right. When, uh, when things are, when people get scared, things make dramatic changes. That's, exact,
0: that's exactly how I would have answered that too. So I, I totally agree. Oh, Joe, do you have any, uh, you have anything to add to that? Like it's very strange that we have a, here, here's another example, unemployment, you see unemployment mm-hmm. go down, which is a good, that's good news. In fact, that's one of the feds objectives, right? Yet They're trying to, they're trying to make it go up. So it's very confusing, but let's say, Unemployment goes down. Good news, but it hurts the markets. Why? Why is that? That one, that one baffles me.
2: So I don't know, maybe you've got a better answer. But when unemployment goes down, in my mind, hey, that means lots of people have jobs. I'm going to buy more stock. Um, That's right. But that's not the way it
0: works. But that doesn't help inflation, right? That's That's true. That's the problem. It's not helping inflation. So it, it actually undermines the target t- 2%, right? So then there then there's fear as as Coop describes and what's the Fed going to do? Are they going to raise rates again? Are they going to do more quantitative tightening? Like what's going to happen because our unemployment number went down? So that's what, it's just very confusing time that we're living in right now. So, so let's talk about that, Joe. Like what's going on with rates, man? We have right. inflation numbers going down, which is exactly what we want to see. And we have unemployment going down, which is not what we want to see. So now those two matrix contradict themselves for the, the Fed's mm-hmm. target target. So- What are they going to do when they meet again yeah so
2: the really interesting thing is over the past five weeks we've actually seen rates decreasing so i touched on earlier that the primary residence uh, investment rate approached eight percent about six weeks ago Um, that is now down to like 6.99 percent or seven percent on any given day so we've actually seen long-term interest rates improve by nearly one percent over the last five weeks Uh, that translates also to investor buyers Six weeks ago, five weeks ago, an investor buyer would have had an interest rate maybe 8.75, today, like 7.6. Now, depending on when you're watching this, listening to this, disclaimer, 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 there's gonna be changes, right? But we've seen interest rates coming down as a result of that uh, inflation coming down. And so I think they've, they have realized that 8% is too high, that stifles economic activity too much. 2% interest rates is too low, That provides too much economic activity and prices get out of control really really fast and so what i think we're going to see over the next 30 60 to 180 days is we're going to see rates operate in a band somewhere from six and a half to seven and a half and we're going to see things kind of move around in that range i think the days of three percent interest rates are over but i also think the three the days of nine percent interest rates are not going to be back anytime soon Um, so i encourage people. Really look at your budget and maybe you wanted a $700,000 home with this payment. Maybe now it's a $500,000 home, but it might still make sense to buy. So I don't think we're going to see a massive decrease in interest rates, although I have been wrong before, but I think we're going to get back to sort of a, a, you know, not Goldilocks, but a little bit more expensive than Goldilocks rate of six and a half to seven to seven and a half. I know a lot of people would love it if rates were at 5%. I don't think our economy supports that right now maybe if we have a full-blown recession and then coming out of that recession we might get back to five percent but my theory and i could be wrong we're going to see six and a half to seven to seven and a half over the next six to 12
1: months you know if we're planning on that if we're budgeting on that if we're talking to joe massey and our lenders and saying you know what does what can i afford in that um what does my monthly payment look like what kind of house can i afford in that Right. Then we can go and say, okay, here's what I need to be planning on. Right. And I think that's what people are still stuck on. They're still stuck on that two, three, 4% interest rate, where really they need to be planning on that five and a half, you know, or six and a half to seven and a half percent interest rate. Once mm-hmm. they take the time and talk to their lender, do the appropriate things of getting pre approved and really looking at those numbers, now they can start planning. Now they can go out and, and be looking at these things and not say, oh, the $700,000 homes, you know, everything I hoped and dreamed. Look across the street at the $500,000 homes, right? Is the backyard, as Joe was saying, maybe not as perfect, but still really nice. Maybe that's what we need to be targeting because that's really what we can afford now. Yeah, we got
0: it. it looks okay, great. All, all this is, and so the listener, if you could just go to US News and you can see just um, search in there for mortgage rate projections. And they put they have a lot of the top economists in here and what they're projecting. And it actually gives a little paragraph on each one. It's co- It's pretty cool and why each one thinks it's the rates are going to do what they're doing. But what we're looking at right now is just a graph of three of the top economists. So we have Fannie Mae, the MBA, and Wells Fargo. And Joe, I love what you were saying because I don't know if you looked at this before we jumped on here or not, but everyone agrees with you except for maybe Fannie Mae. And the interesting thing about Fannie Mae is they were always the lowest projections. Mm-hmm. So they've adjusted up significantly. So what we're looking at here, for those of you that are listening – is a 30-year fixed rate mortgages and where they think they're going to be over the next two years. So we're going out to Q4 of 2025. <clears throat> but if I just follow this trend line to maybe Q4 of 2024, so about one year from now, where will rates be? And there's a gradual decline um, from now until it looks like all the way through the, the graph. But Fannie Mae looks like it's going to be just over seven and the other two just over six, so maybe six and an eighth to six and a quarter Mm -hmm. um, by the end of 2024, but nowhere in here does it drop. Anybody expects it to drop below six. So I guess my point of showing this graph is people agree with Joe about where rates are going to be and the higher for longer probably is a true thing. Yeah. And now that I see this,
2: I, I guess I need to reach out to US News and have them put a red line on here that's the Joe Massey prediction, which is like <laughs> right right in the middle. Right. I'm I'm right in the middle between Mortgage Bankers Association, Wells Fargo, and Fannie Mae you know, and I mean, I did go to economic school for four years. So I think I'm qualified to be on this chart with these guys. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be right in the middle. Um, and I had not seen this chart before. So this actually, um, I appreciate you sharing this. This makes me feel good about my my thought process. And I just don't see anything that's going to drive interest rates significantly lower. But I also don't see anything that's going to drive interest rates significantly higher. And that's combine that with What do we think is gonna happen with prices? They're gonna continue to go up because of increased demand, decreased supply. To me, that equates to, it's still a good time to buy a house. Buying a home is a great way to build wealth in the United States. Owning real estate is a great way to build wealth over the long-term. All of these little short-term variables, combine those and look at the long-term. I still think it makes sense to buy, whether you're an investor or a primary resident buyer. Maybe the only thing I wouldn't buy right now is I probably would not buy a vacation home because there is some uncertainty in how much you're gonna make and uncertainty in inflation, uncertainty and in things like that, I might hold off on buying a luxury property, which I consider a second home, even if it's just a condo, I consider that a luxury. Um, I
1: would purchase housing and I would purchase investing ho- investor housing. What do you wanna add, Coop? I, I love all of this. Um, that chart was awesome. Uh, Joe's thoughts are amazing. Uh, And it just goes back to that, you know, this is the new normal. And I think we need to be living in that new normal uh, and running all of our numbers based on that new normal, right? If we're expecting this or if us as investors are expecting our end buyer, to be up against these interest rates, right? What can they afford? What should those houses look like? And what are we going to build into them, right? When we're doing mm-hmm. our fix and flips, what are what are these people want in the price points that they can now afford so that we're giving them the appropriate uh, level of quality, the appropriate square footage, right? All of these amenities that, that they're looking for in the right price points. Man, mm-hmm. can, I,
2: can I add one thing there? Now, I, I don't work with yeah. fix and flip investors. So if I'm off on this, I want you guys to tell me. But if I'm doing a fix and flip right now, I am finding every single property possible that I can fix up and have in a starter home price range, which I would describe as 400 to 500,000, because the the concept of a starter home is coming back into the market, right? When rates were two and 3%, I could buy my first home at $700,000 and have exactly the same home that my parents have. That's not really true right now. So people that are buying that first home, they're having to re-engage around a starter home a starter condo starter townhome um, if i'm a fix and flip investor i'm looking for something that i can buy and then fix up and sell somewhere between 400 and 500 000 because i think those transactions are happening relatively frequently and i think there's a lot of demand for that type of home what do you guys
1: think yeah i, I agree with that 100 obviously that number is more you know denver based Um, it it varies across the country, uh, in the different markets, but I a hundred percent agree with that. And it makes a lot of sense for investors to be targeting that because that's where the biggest pool of buyers are going to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is get the most eyeballs on our properties that we can, right. Have the biggest pool of buyers possible. Um, so we're more likely to get a buyer or maybe a couple buyers, um, in there. So having the most eyeballs on our property is great. Also first time home buyers, they're probably less picky because it's their first home they're probably more excited about buying a home than the specifics of that home. Whereas in the luxury markets, they know what they want. They've been, they've owned a couple of houses. They've remodeled houses. They know exactly what they want. They're more sophisticated buyer and they have different tastes. So you, you have to really be careful in those higher price points in the more luxury markets with the qualities uh, quality of finishes you're putting in. But the starter homes can be a little more forgiving, which means we can put in not cheap products, but less expensive products. Um, we don't have to go um, overboard on the repairs, uh, which means we can save money and save time on our construction budgets uh, and, again, have the most eyeballs looking to buy our properties.
0: Love it. So consensus, buy still. Absolutely. I think so. Still, still, I, have, still I have a million
2: slides over that, but that's not <laughs> what we're going to talk about today. We can save that for yeah. next time. But, yeah I, think, yeah, I think it makes sense to buy.
0: Yeah, I think we'll just start doing this once a quarter, guys. I like the Market Pulse idea, especially when we're talking about specifically to Denver, um, to help our Denver clients out. Um, So thank you for coming on. I just want to make sure that I understood what we, like a real quick wrap of what, what I understand, what I learned from you fine gentlemen today. So we want to buy. And it's true, because if you think about it, if you're waiting for the crash and you've been waiting it for the last 15 years, what has happened, right? You really, really have missed out. So Mm-hmm. Always a good time to buy, as long as you're d- being smart about it and you have the right advisors, the, pi- the pines and the uh, Castle and Cook, and maybe the Year Castles. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then we we say we think higher for longer. That seems to be a pretty well consensus. Um, inventory problem and mm-hmm. pent up demand. Is there anything else that that I've missed here, Joe? No,
2: I think all of those signs point to me buy today. Right, and and I think I can probably speak for both of you. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I am actively looking for investment properties right now because all the signs say it's a good time to buy. I understand interest rates, but guess what? I can do later. If rates go down, I can always refinance.
0: According to this, you might be waiting for two years. That's okay. No, that
1: I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, it's still a good time to buy. Right. Make sure you're focusing on the numbers. You're focusing on what you can afford. Uh, And what makes the most sense for you and your families uh, or your investment portfolio. Um, But do not sit on the sidelines and wait for a crash. It's we don't see it coming. Uh, Nobody that I've talked to uh, sees it coming. So take your time, look at a lot of properties, uh, run your numbers two, three, five times, not too much, but make sure you really spend time on your numbers uh, and get out
0: there and make an offer. Yeah. And just to clarify, so there's no confusion here. We're talking specifically about housing in this podcast, I don't think any of us agree that there's not a storm coming in the commercial side. Um, so, oh, be very clear. Its, it's own mess. <laughs> it's its own. It's its own thing. So we are talking. We're very comfortable with housing. Is what we're trying to um, portray here. Okay, uh, Coop, start with you. How do we get hold of you, man? Yeah, best way to get a hold of me uh, is email.
1: My email address is justin at finefinancialgroup uh, and if you're not an email person, you got to talk to me on the phone. My cell phone number is 303-916-5366. Cool. Joe?
2: Yeah. Um, I love phone calls. So you can call me anytime. My phone number is 303-809-7769. That is my direct number. comes direct to me. Um, also, my website address, loansbyjoemassy.com Actually, I have an education tab on there where I've recorded in depth with Justin. Um, you know how to purchase and finance rental properties, how to build a portfolio of ten investment properties. Um, we have our national webinar uh, trends update. Uh, Kevin, with your permission, when I get this recording, I'll be adding this to the website. Um, got a lot of our classes out there. We have our investment property spreadsheet that uh, hundreds of people have used to analyze properties. I have an entire training around that. Um, so, would love for you guys to check out the website. Um, give me feedback on it. Uh, find resources that you like. And then, of course, you can email me anytime, Massey at castlecookmortgage.com. And there's an E on the end of cook that often gets missed. Uh, so Jay Massey at Castle Cook Mortgage, or just call 303-809-7769.
0: Nice. And we learn in marketing, we should all have a call to action. So mine is going to be, please, if you like what you heard, if you learned anything, leave us a five-star review. That's the way that we could help more real estate investors just like Mm -hmm. you. So stop what you're doing, go onto your phone, hit that review, five stars. We really appreciate you coming out. Joe, appreciate you. Coop, appreciate you. We'll start doing this once a quarter. We're calling it the Market Pulse on the Real Estate Educators Podcast. Thank you.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks,
1: Kevin. Thanks, Joe.
0: Guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you did, please be sure to follow and leave us a review. Oh yeah, and tell a friend.